0: I'll never forget meeting a young lady and she decided to give her life to the Lord. She was taken by her family and they threw rocks at her, and the pers- real physical persecution. And men began to hit the top of my head and the back of my neck with sticks.
1: We were praying even for the attackers that, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them.
2: And the mandate for us as the church is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth.
0: Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help. Right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
3: Happy New Year, and welcome back to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Last week, we began looking back at some of the most moving moments on this program during 2021. We're going to continue that process today, looking back on some more of those moving conversations. I think you'll be encouraged to hear the ways that God is working among His people, even in hostile and restricted nations, even in the difficult places. And we'll be reminded to pray and remember, and even at times to weep with those who weep. Let's set the stage for what we mean when we talk about persecution. A man we called Brother Aaron told us what it's like for Christians in Pakistan. We disguised his voice in order to protect his security and be able to air this interview.
4: Well, many times we see the persecution is only when someone is beaten badly or or killed uh, by the mob or by others. But there are different levels of persecution, I would say. Talking about countries like I come from, uh, uh, when I said the persecution is in air, when you go out of your house, you, you when you walk for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you meet a lot of people around you. Uh, you face a lot of uh, discrimination. You face a lot of disturbance from them uh, uh, because they would probably call you With different names. When you go to the restaurants in some cities, some places, if they find out you are Christians and they would probably try to separate your utensils and the plates you're using, the glasses you're using. So that is a other level of persecution as well. And when you apply to the certain jobs in the government sector, sometimes being Christian, you are discriminated.
3: That's Brother Aaron describing what persecution feels like in Pakistan Let's hear from another Aaron. Aaron Miller is one of my co-workers here at The Voice of the Martyrs. Today he leads our work in the Middle East. He was encouraging pastors in India when he encountered
5: firsthand opposition to the gospel. We noticed some men coming in the back door. I would say probably not all of them were Hindu extremists. Some of them surely were hired by Hindu extremists. I watched as they turned tables over. I watched as they came in yelling and screaming and chanting Hindu slogans. About that time, a a tall Indian man began to move people out of the way in this entryway. He was moving them with his hands, and he saw me, and he, he grabbed me. And he began to lead us outside towards the mob that was outside, and men began to hit the top of my head and the back of my neck with sticks. It was surprising "'as they led me through a gauntlet of sorts "'when men began to raise up their legs "'and kick into my midsection "'as we were going through the crowd. "'It did surprise me "'when a man came through a gate from the road "'that we were walking towards. "'He came through a gate, walks directly up to me, "'raises a hand high in the air "'and slaps me across the cheek. "'So powerfully it knocked the glasses off "'and it caused me to lose my balance. "'A moment of suffering physically.' was a very sacred moment spiritually. God's grace came upon me. The Holy Spirit was with me. Christ was there present in my situation. And his word came to my mind. First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you.
3: We've been hearing from Aaron Miller as we review the moving moments from the last year here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can hear all of these complete conversations that we're referencing today when you visit our website, vomradio.net. You can also find VOM Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the entire conversations. Aaron felt the presence of Jesus in a new way when he was in danger in India. That's often the case for believers who are undergoing persecution, but sometimes God allows his children to go through struggle, even in prison for their faith. Dan Bauman and Andrew Brunson talked about that on Voice of the Martyrs Radio this year. You can also see this conversation on video as a part of the Imprisoned for Christ virtual event You can find details about that at the main Voice of the Martyrs website, persecution.com. Dan was imprisoned in Iran. Pastor Andrew Brunson imprisoned in Turkey. Each of them went through times in prison where they felt very far from God, kind of like Job, asking questions in the middle of his suffering. Ultimately, though, those dark experiences gave them new insights into God's love for them. Dan says he remembered the examples of others who remained faithful in prison, but those examples didn't necessarily lift his emotions. I rehearsed all the stories you read about. None of it mattered. (laughs) And it led me to trying to commit suicide. And my story is just that, yeah, I had a vision after suicide attempt of Jesus still wanting me. He doesn't just want me when I'm doing great. He wants me when I'm a jerk. (laughs) I'm like, what? Why would God like me? And that God liking me began to become this sovereign beauty over every emotional up or down, every challenge I would face. And it caused me to walk into a place of deeper, deeper trust in him because I knew that he wanted me even at my worst. And that's a great encouragement. Part of your transparency, part of the blessing of your transparency is being willing to say, yes, I was at my worst and God carried me through that and God was still there. You know, I've had former prisoners talk to me and say, well, I I sometimes miss being in prison because God was so close to me there. I don't sense that either one of you would say, I sometimes miss being in prison. Well, no, actually, I remember hearing this, a story that Richard Vernerbrant told one of my friends uh, years before, that he missed sometimes his uh, solitary confinement cell because of the intimacy he had with God there, and sometimes he wished he were back there. And when I heard that, I said, that is just crazy. What's wrong with this guy? And I do not miss being back in prison, but I will say that the conditions of my imprisonment, you know, just the desperation, the hopelessness, they really drove me to run after God in a way that I hadn't before. And so I was desperate just for survival, spiritually, emotionally, in every sense. I was so focused in on him. And the the daily fight to line up with his priorities and to live for the day I stand before Jesus, I miss that. To hear that whole conversation with Andrew Brunson and Dan Bauman, you can visit the archives at vomradio.net. You can also see that conversation on video as part of the Imprisoned for Christ virtual event. We'll give you a link in the show notes for this episode at vomradio.net. The experiences our fellow believers have in prison can have long-term effects, both mentally and physically. Ellen Oblander observed this in the life of Richard Wormbrand, the man who would go on to found the Voice of the Martyrs. He suffered 14 years in prison at the hands of the communists in Romania before being ransomed to the West. Ellen Oblander edited many of Richard's books, as well as material for the early VOM magazines, and she became a good friend to both Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, extending that into even their latter years. She noticed how the beatings that Richard endured while in prison affected him even decades later. But she also saw the Holy Spirit empowering him in the midst of that pain.
6: Walking was always difficult for him, and he always preached sitting down, And with the socks on, because shoes were painful for him. So when I stayed with them, she would always say, go for a walk with Richard. And he would kind of lean on me when he needed to, Uh uh, because walking was very difficult. I could tell that. You know, your feet are very sensitive, especially on the instep. And if you're beaten on your feet, you can imagine what scars that would leave. And he had scars all over his body. He lived in in South Glendale. He lived in um, a house with a a lot of stairs to get to the front door, and they were uh, concrete stairs. They were not wood, you know. Mm -hmm. And he insisted once I came by and the kids were in the car and I just came in to deliver something or whatever, and he came down to meet them, to say hello to them. He loved children. I mean, that took a lot of effort on his part and a lot of pain to walk down that huge flight of stairs just to say hello to my kids. He, he would be that way with children. He just loved children.
3: That's Ellen Oblander telling us about some of the latter years of Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. To hear my whole conversation with Ellen, and I, and I hope you will, she had some amazing stories about Richard and Sabina You can hear those at our website, vomradio.net, or find VOM Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Anita Smith is another sister in Christ who is dealing with the long-term effects of persecution. She and her husband went to live in Libya during the revolution there. Her husband worked as a chemistry teacher, while the couple worked to spread the gospel within their community and even amongst their neighbors.
1: He thrived, Ronnie loved, he had a great relationship with his students, he was very funny, he was sarcastic with them, and it was a great dynamic between him, and they were teenagers, so they spoke English well, and they would teach him Arabic, and I continued to learn Arabic in Libya as well as kind of be connected with some of the women there by teaching them English.
3: It was getting close to the Christmas season, and Ronnie and Anita wanted to spend time with family back in the United States. Anita and their young son came home first because Ronnie had to finish the semester at school. He was planning to join them in just a couple of weeks. But then Anita got a phone call from a neighbor in Benghazi.
1: It's- they asked me to, like, if I was sitting down. They said, I'm sorry, but they just said it, that Ronnie is dead. And I, it was just complete shock, and I kept saying, I don't understand. They're like, I'm sorry, but Ronnie is dead. He was shot. They were, they were crying. We had been with these families uh, for a year and their husbands were really good friends with Ronnie and the wives were really good friends with me and even the grandma who didn't speak any English, she was just crying and, and just like telling me I'm sorry.
3: An eyewitness to the attack was in a car that morning.
1: He was sitting in his car and he saw the Jeep They stopped him and they asked him a few questions, are you American or what are you doing here, are you Christian? And so when he saw the Jeep go around um, a building, he heard the gunshots. Uh, A good friend of mine and I, we were just talking, we were just having like a really good conversation about just hoping and dreaming that our life in Benghazi for Jesus didn't stop and finish there and i just didn't want ronnie's life to end like that and through that we were praying even for the attackers that lord that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would know the love of jesus and that's how it came about that i was remembering that jesus calls us to love our enemies to forgive them
3: that's anita smith she paid such a high price for the gospel after she and her husband moved to Libya during the fall of Muammar Gaddafi and the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi. They moved there just four months after that attack, and yet Anita's regret is that their time in Libya was so short. The next moving moment that we're going to hear from 2021 is one from Tat Stewart. Tat and his wife lived in in the Islamic Republic of Iran during the Islamic revolution. They were actually in Tehran the day the U.S. embassy was taken over by the students. Tad invested in many young Iranian Christians during that time. Now, eventually Tad and his wife and his family, they had to leave the country, but the effects of their work there can still be seen today.
7: And I could just see God working. And the last night, the Lord put it in my head to have a big bonfire. I gave every one of these kids a three by five card. And I said, I want you to go sit somewhere and ask God to show you if there's anything in your life that's keeping you from giving your heart completely to Jesus Christ. And if you're led, confess that and bring that card and dump it in the fire and and just commit your life and to serve him, not just to be a Christian, but to serve him. All 97 of those kids did that. And today, I'm in touch with maybe a third of them. And today, uh, many of them uh, are in Christian ministry. Five or six of them became pastors. And uh, that changed the tone of the Presbyterian Church because these kids went back and began to take over the worship of the service and sharing testimonies. In my mind, in the Presbyterian Church and the Episcopalian Church, Anglican Church, that was sort of the beginning of the awakening within the church that, that t- took place. Two of the kids, I call them kids, they were in their 20s, but from that conference came to visit us uh, two years later while I was pastoring a church in Washington, D.C. And they said, you don't know what that conference did to change the whole Presbyterian Church. And then I realized it had also changed my life.
3: We are reviewing some of the most moving moments of 2021 here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Our next story comes from Andy Bird. He's part of the executive leadership team at Youth with a Mission in Kona, Hawaii. He also directs a powerful event called The Send. He told us a powerful story about the hunger for the gospel— in the Himalayas.
0: I'll never forget meeting a young lady in a in one of those nations and very closed. At the time I met her, she was probably sixteen, and she told me the story of when she came to the Lord, she got saved. I think a church planning team went through her village, all indigenous, and she decided to give her life to the Lord. She was taken by her family into the kind of the courtyard of the community there, and she was they threw rocks at her and the pers- mm. real physical persecution. And, uh, because of it, she couldn't walk for quite a while. And she actually with huge smile on her face, she's telling me this story would, would crawl on her elbows to go to, to a little house fellowship that had been started in her village. And eventually her legs did heal. And when I met her, she, she could walk, but with a heavy limp and she's, by the time I met her, she's 16 or 17 and she's walking with a, with a really strong limp, the biggest smile I had ever seen. And she has never stopped sharing the gospel from that point on. And that story is one of thousands, of course, in that area of the world, the story of both the persecution and the story of the smile. Mm -hmm. It's, It's in tandem. And we've seen it many, many times.
3: Let's travel from the Himalayas to a Bedouin camp in the Middle East. Brother Stephen is a gospel worker with Operation Mobilization, another of our strategic partner ministries here at the Voice of the Martyrs. He shared another of the most moving moments of 2021. He talked about sharing the gospel in a Bedouin camp with people who had never heard the story of Jesus before.
2: Some time ago I was I was in this tent. And it's a great time. Once, once nightfall comes, everyone's dealt with all the animals that they're herding during the day. They're all sorted out. What else can you do but sit around a fire and tell stories? And so I took the opportunity to tell a story. I started with Abraham because that's a, a figure that people they have some knowledge of from the Quran, but also they're very familiar as nomads with their animals. They're kind of like, okay, we understand what it is to put all your family on the back of camels and take them to somewhere else. They, it, it connects with them went back to adam and eve and the story of creation and the fall and a broken relationship talked about abraham taking his son to sacrifice and how god provided a ram in the place then talked a bit about moses and some of the women came in and they kind of sat around the edge of the men's circle the older women closer and the younger women towards the back i got to john the baptist who says, you know, sees Jesus from afar and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then talked about a bit about the life of Jesus, his teaching, his miracles. And then got to his crucifixion. And how they beat Jesus. How they put a crown of thorns on his head so the blood is, is running down. And as I was telling this part of the story, I could see through the flames of the fire in this tent. I could see on the kind of, one of the outer circles, this old lady, you know, with with skin which looked, you know, so leathery because just a tough, tough life. She was kind of the grandmother in the family. And I could see tears coming down her face. And it struck me then, this lady has no idea how the story is gonna end. That he was gonna rise victorious. That woman is representative of so many other people around the world. Millions. And and the mandate for us as the church is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth.
3: Tom and Joanne Doyle have watched God at work in the Muslim world for many years. This year, they wrote a book especially about God's work among Muslim women.
8: Yeah, so we met this sweet couple in Lebanon, though they are refugees from Syria. Mohammed, um, sadly, used to beat his wife constantly, Dina, always. Um, Sometimes she would black out. She hated him so much, she wanted to kill him. So they're allowed to have four wives at one time in Islam, but they can also have a temporary wife, and it can be for a month, a year, an hour. Mohammed did that, and he had 66 other wives. If you can imagine, but Mohammed does come to faith in Jesus, and he is utterly transformed by the presence of Christ in his life.
0: And then he goes to his wife and says, "Jesus forgave me. I'm sorry for everything I did."
8: She realized, "Yeah, he sinned." I was—it was easy to see his, but then as time went on, and she saw that he was now all of a sudden not beating her, but serving her, helping do the dishes. So as she saw that transformation, the Holy Spirit started convicting her of her own sin—the hate, the unforgiveness, all of that. So when she finally comes to faith in Christ, now all of a sudden, not only do they have a love for Christ, they have a love for each other. And she said, one time Mohammed told her, Dina, I love you, only you. And only Christ could do that after all he had experienced Mm -hmm. and the ick he had been through.
3: You're listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are reviewing Some of the most moving moments of 2021 here on today's program. You know, a year ago, no one realized the seismic changes that would happen in Afghanistan this year. John Weaver joined us and gave us an update right in the middle of the crisis that unfolded in Afghanistan last summer.
9: For our brothers and sisters, Todd, I would remind the global church, let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray in Luke chapter 11. Those of us that might need a little bit of encouragement in prayer, you can pray Luke chapter 10, that image of them being sheep among wolves. And then we pray Psalm 23, where we all know that one. Let's pray that for them, that they would know that the Lord is their shepherd, that they would know that he is with them, that he would even prepare a table you know, for them in the presence of their enemies, that they would know his goodness and his mercy and his leadership and his guidance and his provision. And then with that, let's pray that they would have boldness, they would have courage, that God would keep them from fear, that they would know his love and his spirit and his power uh, to be witnesses during this time. And let's pray that God would use this for salvation. As listeners know, there's millions of Afghans that are waiting to hear the gospel, they're waiting to meet a Christ follower. So if we think, first of all, praying for our brothers and sisters, praying scripture for them, praying for God to encourage them and be with them, and then kind of branching out from that, thinking about their community, their village, their neighbors, those that they can be salt and light to, and then bigger praying even for the government that God would work in and through the Taliban, he would work in and through international diplomatic relationships that are going on because we don't know how the government's going to be formed yet, but it would allow the furtherance of the gospel and allow God's people to continue to serve and work uh, in the country. And then as you've mentioned, those practical ways about, you know, banks and ways that we can get practical assistance and that in the midst of all this, this would not be something that would wane away in a couple of weeks. But God would keep this hot and, and, and ready and, and, and on our, uh, our forefronts in terms of praying for one of the last frontiers, a nation that's full of unreached people groups, that the gospel would spread there and that God's kingdom would advance there for his glory and his honor.
3: That's John Weaver. He has served as a gospel worker in Afghanistan for many years. He joined us as the crisis was unfolding there in August and reminded us, God is still in control. Perhaps the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan will result in many more people coming to know Jesus Christ. That serves as a reminder also for us to keep praying for Afghanistan, as well as countries all over the world, that believers will be strengthened, that the gospel will go forth in power. I look forward to another year ahead, sharing the things that the Lord is doing around the world, letting you know how to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We're going to keep doing that every single week here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. In the meantime, I hope you will explore the archives at vomradio.net or subscribe to VOM Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're already subscribed, share it with a Christian friend. Encourage them to subscribe as well. And if you were intrigued by any of the clips that you heard today, go to the website, go to the podcast, and listen to the entire conversations. Again, the website vomradio.net. Next week, we're going to hear an update from the continent of Africa. It is a place where there is a rising tide of radical Islam that is resulting in much persecution of our brothers and sisters. But God is at work in Africa— And we're going to hear more about that next week
9: right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.